0: Gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. No Michael today. He's got family affairs to attend to. So we're just going to <laughs> In fact, we're going to be talking about the ABCs of Christian identity. I put the link in the chat room. This is an article by Bertrand Camperet entitled Christianity in the Old Testament. But first, I just want to quickly make a couple of announcements. Uh, the last couple of days, I, I've been posting uh, very important shows that we've done on Friday and Saturday. Genesis to Revelation was a show about Second Kings chapter 17, in which is explained how the Babylonians began practicing our religion because they were imported into the vacated lands when the Assyrians took uh, Samaria, that is the 10 northern tribes of Israel, captive and carted them off into Armenia, basically, into the Assyrian lands. They also imported people from Babylon into Samaria. And among those are the Sepharvaim. Where do you think the Sephardic Jews get their name from? Okay. (laughs) And so the king of Assyria took one of the priests of the 10 northern tribes and told him to move back to where you came from and start teaching these heathen the name of Yahweh and the religion of Israel. And so this is where these Babylonians first started learning about our religion. And of course, since they are the kinsmen of the Edomites, who were always our enemies, and when the house of Judah was carted off to Babylon for a 70 years' punishment, these Edomites and Babylonians got together and began the religion known as Judaism. Very important scriptures, very, very important. And of course, 2 Kings 16.6 is where the word Jew first appears in the Bible, and we discuss that uh, in great detail, the fact that the word Jew does not belong anywhere in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it is a reference to those Edomites, namely those Edomites who, in conjunction with the Sepharvaim, have distorted the Holy Scriptures. Okay? So this is a very important subject, and it also... Uh, YCP, the uh, Yahweh's Covenant People, the study of C.I. Schofield, Charlatan and Heretic, how Judeo Christianity and Christian Zionism took root in our people in the modern era. Very, two very, very important subjects. So, anyway, so also I have re established my connection with Gab, so you can go to gab.com and search for Pastor Eli James. I've begun posting there again. I would like to encourage all of you to go to Gab, because that's a free speech platform. It is a free speech platform. And Andrew Torba, who is a Christian who runs that platform, does not hesitate to criticize Talmudism. So it may actually be a real free speech platform. So far, so good. So we'll see if my post and Brother Hebert is a member as well. So you can join me and Brother Abair. I'm not exactly sure because uh, it's hard to find, but my homepage is Pastor Eli James with the spaces between the words at Pastor Eli James with no spaces. <laughs> so I'm not sure how you go about finding people. Uh, since I, uh, It's been a while since I've been there, so I'll have to get all that straight. I'm, I'm sure you Israelites can figure all that out. <laughs> all right. So do your best to find me and Brother Hebert on Gab and start teaching these Judeo-Christians who don't believe the law is still in effect and start putting some sense into their heads. All right. So anyway, let's go with today's subject. And welcome to all of you. This is Your Folk Radio. Today is December 4th. I think tomorrow is the... Uh, Anniversary of the betrayal of America by FDR at Pearl Harbor, if I have the date correct. So I mean, it's one betrayal of America after another by Jew puppets, known as presidents. Ever since, ever since Woodrow Wilson was president, we've had nothing but one string of Jew puppets in office ever since. Period. That's that's what it's, that's what it's been. And so we have to end that. <laughs> if, the, if the Chicago Cubs haven't won a World Series for 108 years, we haven't had a decent president for 108 years. So we've got to change that around. We, we need a World Series for Christian identity. And once we get into that World Series, we're going to win it, folks. We are going to win it. But in the meantime, let's get started. Of course, this is Bloodlines on Your Folk Radio, December 4th, 2022, and here is what Pastor Compare has to say. And this, of course, is israelect.com. It's I-S-R-A-L-E-L-E-C-T.com. He doesn't uh, spell it out as Israel-elect. He drops the first E and L, so it's israelect.com. And you can just uh, search for, or just search for this article, Christianity and the Old Testament by Pastor Bertrand L. Compare And there are other sites hosting this article. So here we go. When you see some new machine with its shafts turning, gears spinning, motors humming, you can't understand what it is or what it does. Until somebody shows you a plan of it. Similarly, you can't understand history and its climax, modern civilization, until you see a plan of it. The only such plan of history is in the Bible, and it is amazingly complete. However, you can't understand this plan, the Bible, until you know who you are that the Bible was lived and written by your ancestors, he's speaking to the white Caucasian Anglo-Saxon people, written about you and written to you. The identity of the Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, and Teutonic people as the Israel of the Bible is the only key to the whole book. Well said. Uh, (laughs) Well Okay, brother, maybe, well, if Torba is one of the other group of people, he's allowing freedom of speech on his platform. But, of course, uh, so is uh, Brother Nathaniel, <laughs> right? And it may, it may just be clickbait. But nevertheless, the, the, the Rothschilds don't like freedom of speech, and he actually admonished a, uh, a Jew who went on and claimed that the Holocaust is real and that, uh, that uh, the platform does injustice to Jews by allowing, free, uh, by allowing freedom of speech. And uh, Torber put him in, in his place. And I also commented on that and said, well, what about the 100 million Russian Christians murdered by the Jewish Bolsheviks? And a lot of people responded to my comment and liked my comment better than a Jew comment. <laughs> All right? Yeah. yeah, it could be another, like I said, clickbait. It could be nothing more than clickbait. But while we have that platform to promote Eurofolk radio, which we will do there, and on other uh, platforms as well, let's keep on doing it. Just, uh, well, 14 years ago, uh, no, 14, eight years ago, in 2014, Paul English and I began Eurofolk radio. And we were actually able to broadcast live video with a streaming chat room, like you see many other platforms have. And that was superbly successful. For the first couple of months, we had dozens, if not hundreds of people tuning in and commenting in the live streaming chat room until YouTube And, of course, Bill Gates owns YouTube and all these other major platforms and started censoring us. They basically kicked us off of YouTube. And so that tremendously limited our ability to reach new people, okay, which is what the Jews are totally afraid of, our ability to reach new people. And so now that we have Gab available to us we'll start doing that until gab kicks us off and as far as i know gab hasn't kicked anybody off but we'll see we'll see how that goes all right so i encourage all of you to pray that gab does not kick us off and we can make converts of the people a la ezekiel 37 the dead men's bones coming back to life they will come back to life and it means israelites Will realize who they are. <laughs> they already exist, they just don't know who they are. And if you don't know who you are, as Pastor Bertha it's very plainly said here, if you don't know who you are, you can't understand the Bible. So let's continue. If somebody wrote a very exact history of the United States but never used the name United States therein, always calling the nation in this history China, You couldn't make much sense out of it. As a history of China, it would be demonstrably false. It could never make good sense until you put the name of the right nation into it. But all the major churches have falsified the Bible. That is correct. Ever since the Schofield Reference Bible was created by the Rothschilds, hiring their puppet C.I. Schofield to distort the meaning of numerous verses of Scripture, and inserting the, the, the Jewish people into the place of Israel, which is exactly what the C.I. Scofield Bible does, right? They have taken our history, the various prophecies about us, and told us that all this was just about the Jews, which is an easily demonst- demonstrated falsehood. That is why any intelligent and well-educated atheist has always made a monkey of any clergyman who has ever debated him on the Bible, the traditional church doctrines on the Bible are such so such easily exposed falsehoods. Thank you very much. Now, the clarity of Bertrand Comperet's teachings is just unparalleled. He is one of the clearest thinkers that identity has ever had, and Doctor Wesley Swift is one of the most dynamic preachers that Christian identity has ever had, but he doesn't organize his thoughts as well as Bertrand Camperé does. So between the two of them, if if you like dynamic preaching, go to SWIFT. If you like clarity of doctrine, go to Bertrand Camperé. By all means, partake of both. Let's continue. The churches have taught us another falsehood, They have taught that the Old Testament is a record of a different religion, the Jewish religion. You will not find the word Judaism anywhere in the Bible, which God tried out and found that he couldn't make it work. So he had to abandon it and start a brand new religion, Christianity, in the New Testament. In this, they have greatly slandered our God. On this program, you have heard us prove that the Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, and Teutonic people are the Israel of the Bible. We have proved this by showing you that these people and no others, especially not the Jews, fulfill the Bible prophecies about Israel. I have proved it to you by tracing the actual migration of Israel from their ancient Palestinian homeland to their modern homelands in Europe and their former colonies, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Let us not forget our brother Israelites in Rhodesia. We have traced this migration through the writings of most of the recognized historians of those centuries. Of course, this history has been overwritten by Jewish scribes, including the the kingdom of Parthia, which was a huge empire run by Israelites of the house of Pharaoh's Judah, who were such a powerful nation that the Romans could never defeat them. In fact, Rome died, Imperial Rome died before Parthia died. And Parthia died from internal strife just as Rome died from internal strife. As all kingdoms historically have died more from internal strife than from being invaded. Okay? I mean, uh, and uh, Dan and I yesterday we lamented the fact that so many of our Israelite kings, both of the 10 northern tribes and of the house of Judah, have died by assassination and not by peaceable transfer of power. This is very lamentable and how the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes made war against each other just as our Israelite nations today are making war against each other. And don't you know, That what's going on in Ukraine is just another attempt by the Jews to create another war in which white nations kill each other off. We have to pray really hard that this does not transpire into World War III. We know the Jews are going to start World War III in any case, but there's no reason for us white people to be killing each other on behalf of the Jews. No way. Okay, so let's continue. You have heard me prove that the New Testament is just as much an Israel book as is the Old Testament. In a series of seven broadcasts, we reviewed the New Testament and showed that it was clearly speaking about and speaking to Israel. To, for, by, and about Israel. You have often heard me say that the Old Testament is just as much a Christian book as is the New Testament. Today I shall begin the proof of the Christian content and character of the Old Testament. Our God was not mistaken when he inspired the prophets to write the Old Testament. It was not a failure which he had to abandon and start all over again with a new, different religion. Of course, the Jews claim to be the Old Testament religion, and they call Christianity a... uh, a replacement theology. No, Judaism is the replacement theology because they replaced themselves with... Oh, I had to adjust my headset here. They replaced themselves over true Israel. Okay, so let's continue. If we accept... Oh, sorry. Well, I have to find my place now. Therefore, God provided the only possible sacrifice which could pay the penalty of your sins, Jesus Christ. And, of course, these are our old sins. Only our old sins were forgiven under the Mosaic Covenant. Only those sins were forgiven. Paul clearly says, The law is holy, just, and good. He never said the law has been done away with. That's just a Judeo-Christian lie. Okay, so and he was the only one who was ever perfect and without sin, had no penalty of his own to pay. Therefore, when he gave his own life for us, when he died on the cross, he paid all the penalty of our sins, our past sins, so that we will not have to meet this penalty ever again. Of course, now we have to meet the penalty at the judgment day of the sins we have committed in this life. That's why Israel has to make herself clean and the Old Testament. Feast days come into play. That is the Day of Atonement just before the Day of Judgment in the three fall feasts, Feast of Trumpets, which will announce the Day of Judgment, the Day of Atonement, when we will have to fast and atone and make our final Admission of our sins and repent. And then, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles, which on the last great day, he will come and tabernacle with us to claim his bride, which the Bible clearly says is the 12 tribes of Israel. 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes, 144,000. We will be the government of the kingdom. That is exactly what the Bible teaches. All right, you're not going to hear this from any Judeo-Christian minister; they are utterly clueless. And but the Bible says very clearly that all twelve tribes in the Old Testament and the New Testament will exist forever. Yet the Jews teach that they're the only only surviving tribe. Can you believe it? We are being lied about and lied to constantly, not just by the Jews' media, but by the Judeo-Christians. By the way, the term Judeo-Christian didn't come about until the 1930s when it was popularized by FDR, who was part Jew. So, folks, there, we've got a lot of unlearning to do. Yes, okay, uh, Bram Ash. Well, just go to Gab.com, and I'm not sure, because uh, I've just been posting there for a couple of days. Maybe Brother Ebert can, uh, or some a Gab user who's more familiar with it, can post how you put, uh, put a person's name in. But you just go to the homepage, Gab.com, and then search for Pastor Eli James, and that should come up. All right, at Pastor Eli James. So try that, and uh, but I've been posting on their main page, and uh, people have been responding. So the more followers that Brother Abair and I have on Gab, the more Christian Israelites we can wake up. It's just a, you know this is a platform we can utilize un- until we are shut down yet again. All right, so this is promotion, folks. We're gonna start. Uh, this new, new year off right with more and more promotion. So, let's get back to the article here. And, let's see where I left off here. Okay, so, there, there's so much going on here, and uh, Bertrand Camperet is so accurate in his proofs of what's going on in the world, uh, the world of Christianity. So he goes, you have heard me prove that the New Testament is just as much an Israel book as is the Old Testament. And of course, he talks about the fact that Yahshua, who was an Israelite, not a Jew, he was a Judahite, not a Jew, died for the old sins of Israel under the Old Covenant. But the New Covenant, we have to take responsibility for our own sins and repent. This is why Yahshua said, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in repentance. That's why you can't christen a little baby that is not capable of repenting. True baptism is done with repentance. Period. Okay. So, when he gave his life, and we accept this basis of our relationship to our God, openly confessing that Jesus Christ is our only Savior, then we have become acceptable to God because sin no longer stands between him and us. Instead of bearing the responsibility for our sins, we now have attributed to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, as long as we can hold on to it, As Ben Franklin said to the lady who who asked him, what was going on in that brow house when you guys were hammering out the U.S. Constitution? And his answer to that lady was, we have given you liberty if you can keep it. (laughs) This is Christianity. This is what we must now look for in the Old Testament. The first promise of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, is found in Genesis 3.15. God has called Adam, Eve, and Satan before him to give account of their misdeeds. And God says to Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Only Christian identity makes any reference to Genesis 3.15. And the theologians who have done so have not taught that there are two bloodlines coming from this passage of Scripture. Two bloodlines. Okay, thank you, Bram. Okay, very good. So, that works. <laughs> so, what the Brother Abraham has put in the chat room works, so go to gab.com forward slash at Pastor Eli James. And the more of our people who join Gab, uh, you know, it's, it'll be an invasion of truth. <laughs> And we will take to task all those Judeo-Christians who falsely believe that the law has been done away with and quote scripture after scripture after scripture and prove how they've been lied to by the followers of C.I. Schofield. Okay, so let's continue. The prophecy in Genesis 3.15 unmistakably applies to Jesus Christ and is the first instance of Christianity in the Old Testament. But also it refers to the two bloodlines, the bloodline of Cain and the bloodline of Seth, who was not fathered by Nachash. Continuing, Note that this says that Satan was to have just as literal children as was Eve. (laughs) And and the the Judeo-theologians ignore the fact that there was a Satanic bloodline engendered there. Or, Or even the fact that there was a Sethite bloodline engendered there that resulted in Yahshua Messiah. Only one of these two bloodlines could possibly result in a Messiah. The Jewish bloodline, the Jewish bloodline was not fathered by Adam, but Eve was the mother of both. Because why? Because she was sexually seduced in Genesis 3.15. That's what it's all about. And if you don't understand that, you you really have been ignoring the the whole of Genesis chapter 3. Okay. But let's uh, you know it's not. It was a mental sin. You don't wear a a, a loin cloth over <laughs> over your face like a <laughs> like a a mask for COVID, like a COVID mask, right? No, it doesn't go over your face. It goes over your genitals. genitals. That's where it goes. Okay, that's why Yahweh had them wear loincloths not face masks or dunce caps. So, let's continue. Note that this says that Satan was to have just as literal children as was Eve. The same Hebrew word for seed, i.e. zera, is used in the case of both Satan and Eve, one of Eve's descendants, which we know to be Jesus Christ was to defeat Satan, although suffering terribly in the process, just like we do. Have we not been suffering terribly in the process? This is not just a spiritual war, as the Deuteronomy falsely teach. It is a literal physical war right here on earth, and there has been tons and tons, rivers, lakes, oceans of blood, that has been shed over this issue. This is why we have to instruct our people never to go to war on behalf of the perfidious Jew ever again. And until our people wake up and realize who they are and who the Jews really are, unfortunately, our people will still be fighting for the perfidious Jew in all of these conflicts. We have to put an end to these conflicts and never allow ourselves to be manipulated into another genocidal, internecine war where we fight against each other on behalf of the perfidious Jew. Mystery Babylon. We have to stop doing that. We have to stop doing that. Let's continue. Carefully note one other thing: it is God Himself who puts enmity between Satan's children and Eve's children. Why? Why is all this happening? Because we have, to, we as Israelites, have to learn to be careful about who we associate with, and of course, who we have sex with. If we're not careful about that, we suffer, suffer. Blood, sweat, and tears. You know how Satan's children love to parrot the official Communist Party line phrase and call us hate mongers. But the Bible itself tells us that God himself commanded and created that enmity or hatred. As a matter of fact, it only appears as hatred among Satan's children. We don't hate them. We just detest the evil character shown by the wicked thing that they are constantly doing. But, of course, David says we have to have a righteous hatred if you don't hate evil. And if you believe that you can, you can change the world by having a pleasant attitude, and you think you can materialize peace by believing that you have the power <laughs> to make other people lawful and peaceful, This is what the New Agers believe. Unfortunately, folks, you can't wish peace upon this evil world. It requires combat. It requires exposing the enemy for what they really are and who they are. By the way, it's so so wonderful that uh, on the Internet now, more and more websites are coming about. They're popping up all over the place exposing the perfidious Jew. It's only a question of time before their control over our minds is done and over with. It's only even amazing. Polly has finally addressed the Jewish question and the the uh, silencing of Kanye West, who says Hollywood is run by Jews. They cannot permit anybody to speak the truth about them. You will be censored. You will be censored. And a lot of Jews are calling for the assassination, some overtly, of Kanye West. They can get away with this because there's no critics fending them off. Yes, Freebird. too many Christians still think the Jews are God's chosen. Well, that was started by C.I. Schofield. The Schofield Reference Bible And the bribes the Rothschilds and other Jews have paid to Christian theologians to teach their garbage. To teach their garbage. That's what's going on in the world. All right, so let's continue. This is a fight to the death. You cannot convert the devil, and you cannot convert the devil's children to Christianity. It's just that simple. How many times in the Old Testament does it say, to put this evil out from among you, the perpetrator, if the sin deserves death, the perpetrator must be executed, such as for the crime of murder and the crime of rape. If we started punishing those crimes, accordingly, that would put an end to those sins. But man, how many rapists and murderers have we got in the world today? It's just too big a job. That's why we have to we have to pray harder and harder for the second coming, because He will take care of business, and we will be assisting Him in that business. But He He said, "When I return, will I find faith in the earth? Will I have faithful people to do our job?" In assisting him, it's not just going to be him and the angels, it's going to be him, the angels, and us. As Obadiah says, Joseph will be a fire, Judah will be a flame, and the Edomites will be stubble. So, there's going to be a, a chastisement by fire. The ships of Mystery Babylon will be burning on the oceans probably because they're transporting more electric cars, <laughs> which have a tendency to spontaneously catch fire. So don't buy an electric car. It's not worth it. The construction of electric cars is horrible for the environment. They may not put out a lot of fumes while they're on the, on the road, but the construction of the batteries for these vehicles is extremely bad for the environment, and also they use child labor overseas which you are not told by the establishment. Okay? So, let's continue. The Bible only records a very limited account of this conversation between God and Adam and Eve, but it very clearly implies that at this time, God clearly explained to them the entire plan of redemption, including the fact that he, Yahweh himself, would be the Redeemer, coming in the form of a descendant of Eve. What did uh, Yahshua say in the book of Revelation? I am the root and the offspring of David? Naturally, Adam and Eve didn't like being under the curse which came as a consequence of their disobedience of God, and they hoped that the curse would soon be ended. Since Yahweh had not explained to them how many generations it would be until he came as the promised Redeemer. Eve hoped that her first child, Cain, would be the Redeemer. She hoped. That's why why she states, I have gotten a man, even Yahweh, or even God. But that's just a hopeful expression on her part. This is not a statement by Yahweh or Moses. Eve hoped that her first child, Cain, would be the Redeemer. This is concealed from you by the mistranslation in your King James Version of the Bible, which says this, She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from Yahweh, Genesis 4.1. In the Hebrew, it reads, She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man, even Yahweh. That's a quotation. She is making this statement, not Moses. That is, she thought that this, her first child, was Yahweh God himself, or Yeshua, come in the flesh as one of her descendants, to be the redeemer of his children. This also is Christianity in the Old Testament. You will remember that in my series of broadcasts on Who is Your Savior?, I gave the Bible's proof that Jesus Christ is God himself, come in the flesh to be our Savior and Redeemer. Again, we find further confirmation of this in Genesis 4, verses 3-7, which tells us that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Yahweh, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And Yahweh had respect unto Abel and to his offering, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And Yahweh said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, the sin offering lieth at the door." and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, of course, the word his is actually a reference to sin, which it should be a neuter pronoun, not a masculine pronoun, because when the, the, the King James Version was written, they they substituted, they switched back and forth between neuter and masculine and even feminine on occasion, and they didn't, the the, the the neuter pronoun was really not commonly in use yet. So that's why it's translated often as his instead of it. But let's continue. Yes, I know your King James Version Bible says that, quote, sin lieth at the door. But the same Hebrew word means both the sin itself and the sin offering, the blood sacrifice. So closely were the two ideas identified of the sin and of the offering, which cleansed the sinner of his guilt, okay? And, you know, if you check, I don't know if it's in the Strong's Concordance, but other concordances will tell you that the neuter pronoun, it, was not in common usage yet when the King James Bible was written. So, therefore, you see uh, many occasions where the masculine pronoun, his is used to refer to neuter or both genders. You cannot make sense out of this unless you know this. Let's continue. Although Cain had herds and flocks of his own, he brought no blood sacrifice, just the fruit and vegetables. Well, since Cain was only a farmer and wasn't told to raise flocks of animals, this is not the entire story it says very plainly that Abel brought the first fruits Cain withheld the first fruits and those first fruits are very significant in the Hebrew feast days the wave sheaf is the first fruit representing Yahshua Messiah so in other words Abel offered the first fruits symbolizing Messiah, Cain did not. Why? Because he refused to recognize Messiah and is trying to destroy Messiah, the very idea of Messiah. This is why the Jews refer to themselves as their own Messiah. This is what Cain was doing. He refused to acknowledge the blood offspring of Seth, this is what's going on here. Let's continue. Uh, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So sin rules over Cain, is what we're being told here. Yes, I know your King James Version Bible says that sin lieth at the door, but the same Hebrew word means both the sin itself and the sin offering, the blood sacrifice. So it's not just the blood sacrifice because Cain did not have a blood sacrifice given that he was a farmer, not a cattle rancher. Nevertheless, the idea of first fruits, all the theologians miss the idea of first fruits and what it has to do with the offering. The entire Hebrew feast day scenario is all about the first fruits, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the horse Edom was chosen for destruction, (laughs) right? That's what they're good for. That's what they're good for. They know this. They know they are desperately trying to hang on to Cain's worldview and impose it on the rest of us. So it's very important that this matter of what did Cain offer and what did what did Abel offer? You have to keep these first fruits in mind because both the Hebrew feast days of the spring, which all pointed to the coming of Messiah, the fulfillment of these these ideas in Messiah, and the fall feast days, now those were fulfilled in the springtime in the life of Yahshua. And the second set of Feast days, the fall feast days, will be fulfilled one of these years in the fall, and they will be fulfilled by Messiah at his second coming. This is the prophetic significance of the Hebrew feast days, and they all require that we submit ourselves to Yahweh's law, and not to man's law or Jewish law. Let's continue. Although Cain had herds and flocks of his own, he brought no blood sacrifice. Now, that's not, that's not exactly correct here, just fruits and vegetables. He, uh, he did not offer the first fruits. He made no confession of sin, no prayer for pardon. He merely told God, Landlord, here's your crop rent. No, he gave him the second best. He only offered the second best. And then he wondered why God was not pleased by this. But Abel knew that sin would separate any man from God, or any Adamite from God, and he could not become acceptable to God until he cleansed of his sins. That's correct. That was only by making the blood offering to proclaim his faith, or the acceptable sacrifice of the fruits, and Yahshua was the firstfruits. That's what he was. To proclaim his faith in God's revelation that someday the Savior would die to pay the penalty of Abel's sins. Well, Abel didn't sin. Abel didn't sin. Pay the penalty of Adam and Eve's sins. And who could become free from sin. In other words, Abel showed an understanding of the basic principles of Christianity nearly 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. But he offered the first fruits of his flock. Cain did not. Okay, let's continue. Again, as Hebrews eleven four reminds us, Abel understood the need of the blood sacrifice or the first fruit sacrifice, symbolic of his faith that the Savior would give his life to pay No, it's not Abel's sin. There's no record of Abel sinning. These incidents in the third and fourth chapters of Genesis occurred close to 4000 B.C. But the book of Genesis, which tells us of this, was written by Moses about 1446 B.C., and it is not the earliest book in the Bible. Although the book of Job was later assigned its place as the 18th book in the Bible, it was written about the nine centuries before Moses lived. Its great age appears from the fact that it never mentions the law which God gave to Moses. And nothing as important as the law would be omitted if the book of Job had been written later. Job complains of his undeserved suffering as his quote-unquote friends assure him that suffering comes only as a just punishment. So Job must have done something very wicked to deserve such punishment. But they never mention any law which they think Job has broken. Also, Job who wrote the book, is mentioned in Genesis 10.29 as Jobab, Father Job, a great-great-grandson of Shem and a great-grandson of Eber, from whom the people got the name Hebrews. But there's something else going on here too, folks. Just as Yashu Messiah took upon himself the sins of his brethren, the Israelites, so must we take upon us the sins of our brethren. That is clearly what we have to do. Not that we have to die on a cross, right? But we have to suffer for our kinsmen and not complain about it. Suffering is the only thing that the Bible guarantees to the New Testament Christian is tribulation. And if we repent of our sins, the less tribulation we have. It only guarantees us tribulation. In other words, we have to commiserate with our brethren and not be egotistical and selfish and think that the, this is only about us ourselves, me, myself, and I. All these examples of martyrdom throughout history are examples of our kinsmen suffering for us, not just for Yahshua Messiah, not just for the creed, but for us, making themselves examples for us, examples of bravery, steadfastness, and fighting against the beast, even though many of these martyrs did not realize who the true beast was. Continuing, in all his suffering, Job never loses sight of the promise of the coming Redeemer, even while he is wishing for death to put him out of his misery. (laughs) Oh, join the club. In Job 19, 25-27, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, unquote. We have to recognize that Job, there is no record of Job committing any sin. He was just a humble what? What was he? a rancher, a farmer, and he did not commit any sins against his neighbors. It does not even record him committing a mental sin. He was faithful to what he knew of Yahweh and Yahweh's plan from Genesis 3.15 on. He he had to have understood that. If he would, didn't understand it, he would have been committing sin all over the place. But he didn't. He, he never lost his faith. So that would be a good question for a show. D- d- was Job sinless? Was Enoch sinless? Well, they may have committed minor sins, like maybe uh, not, not liking <laughs> or, or cursing someone under their breath. Right? Who doesn't do that? But there's no record of any overt sin by, committed by Job. Maybe he wasn't forgiving enough of his critics. <laughs> right? You're telling me I, I'm sick because I sinned. No, that's not why I'm suffering. Something else happened. What else happened? The curse of Cain. Upon our bloodline is what happened. Let's continue. And we simply have to accept this as a fact. That we're going to suffer unnecessarily. But don't blame somebody else. Or if you want to, you can blame Adam and Eve. And they will willingly accept the responsibility for that. Because they want to see us redeemed as well. So let's continue. Abraham also knew and expressed some of the basic ideas of Christianity. In Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14, we read that God put Abraham to a severe test. He told Abraham to offer his beloved son Isaac on the altar as a burnt offering. Remember how much Isaac meant, and all of these martyrs in the Christian era are very similar to. Isaac, having been offered up by the Antichrists as an attempt to destroy our race. They were steadfast and courageous in their suffering. Let's continue. Remember how much Isaac meant to Abraham. Yes, he was the only son of Sarah. The only son of Sarah. Sarah. And Yahshua Messiah was the only son of the Holy Spirit through Mary. Both of those were miraculous births, miraculous births, folks, because Yahweh prophesied the birth of Isaac one full year before the birth and therefore three months before the conception. And they were both well over 90 years old, <laughs> All right, uh, How often does that happen? So, let's continue. In addition to all the ordinary love of a father for his son, God had promised Abraham that the many great prophecies given to him would be fulfilled through Isaac. Then, when Isaac was still a mere child, and none of the promises had yet been fulfilled, God suddenly commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. Did it mean that God had changed his mind and would not make good on his many promises? No, Abraham knew that God's word was always reliable. Therefore, God would find a way to fulfill his promises that through Isaac would be born a number of nations destined to demonstrate to the world the goodness of Yahweh. Well, the other possibility here is that Abraham would have another child by Sarah. That's another possibility. But I think uh, his analysis, Compare's analysis here is correct. Well, how far will you go to, now this is a direct command from Yahweh, who spoke directly to Abraham about this. And, well, the Bible doesn't refer to this, but Isaac in the book of Jasher and I think also in Jubilees and other Israelite books, says to his father, okay, if this is what Yahweh wants, I will willingly accept for you to kill me. Just as Abraham was raising the knife, getting it ready to plunge it into the neck of Isaac, his hand was stayed. What's the symbolism here? The symbolism is that Yahweh is not going to withhold his Redeemer, From us. That's the symbolism there. But also, when Isaac was placed on that altar, Isaac's children, descendants, were also devoted, set apart for Yahweh. That is you and me, and not the Jews. Let's continue. Did it mean that God had changed his mind and would not make good on his many promises? No. Abraham knew that God's word was always reliable that Yahweh would find a way to make his word true. Therefore, God would find a way to fulfill his promises through Isaac, and Isaac would be born and through Isaac would be born a number of nations destined to demonstrate to the world the goodness of God. Now again, we have to bring up Genesis 12:1 through 3 here which clearly states that the descendants of Abraham would be a multitude of nations. The Jews have never had a multitude of nations come from their loins. So those verses are clearly not about Jews, nor are the Jews mentioned in those verses. It seems like the the theologians, again, this is a a product of the C.I. Schofield reference Bible, where... Christians have been led to believe by that fake theology that the Jews are the only people talked about in Genesis 1 through 3. I mean, sorry, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And that is a flat-out lie. There's no Jew mentioned in those verses. And we know that the first time the word Jew is used in Scripture is in Second Kings sixteen six. And that is a mistranslation of the word Judahite. Again, they have to falsify the record in order to convince us that they are God's chosen people. There are no Jew mentioned anywhere in not just Genesis 12, 1 through 3, but in the entire Torah. There's no mention of Jews. So the idea that the Jews are the one and only Shemites being mentioned there, is ridiculous because not only the descendants of Isaac, but the descendants of Keturah and Hagar are the white people, the Adamic white people, Shemites, all of them Shemites, sprung from the loins of Abraham that populated the entire Middle East and the north of Europe, the south of Africa, the west of the world, and parts east as well. Those are the people that are being talked about in Genesis 12, not Jews. Let's continue. Okay. So. Possibly. Okay. So Abraham started out with Isaac for the place where he was to offer up the sacrifice, Going cheerfully, not in the awful grief of a father, but about to not only witness, but even to cause the death of his beloved son. He went in the serene confidence of one who knew that his God was always faithful. It says that, quote, Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he, Isaac, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, unquote. This is obviously a prophecy of the coming of Messiah. An obvious prophecy of the coming of of Messiah. Let's continue. Possibly, his confidence might have been based in part upon the conviction that if Yahweh God did permit the death of Isaac, he would resurrect him, so that the promises would be fulfilled through Isaac somehow or other, (laughs) and if so, remember that the resurrection is a basic part of Christianity. But by his own statement, Abraham also was calmly certain that God would intervene providing a lamb for the sacrifice to be offered in place of Isaac. So that by the death of this lamb in his place, Isaac could be spared. This again is the very essence of Christianity. In John one twenty nine, Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, what world? The sin of the society is the correct translation. This is the society of Israel, because only Israel was given the law, and therefore only Israel could sin. The rest of the world is supposed to follow our example, if we could ever provide it. And again, in Revelation 13.8, Jesus Christ is called, quote, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this was all planned from the foundation of the world. Genesis 22 tells how Abraham's faith was justified. How was Abraham's faith justified? Paul says, I believe it's uh, Hebrews chapter 10, maybe chapter 11, when he talks about what faith is, he always talks about the actions of the Israelites of the past. So it's obvious that Paul, by the word faith, means faithfulness, not mere belief, because they had to follow through with action on what they believed. So the idea that the word faith means mere belief, which is a a standard concept of the Judeo-Christian, is patently false. Patently false, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, let's continue. So, God stopped him, that is Abraham, before any harm could come to Isaac and provided a ram, caught in a nearby thicket for the sacrifice. Obviously, Isaac could not be the blood sacrifice for the redemption of Israel because, well, Israel hadn't been born yet. (laughs) Or maybe had been born, but was not yet dedicated to this service. Let's continue. This incident of Abraham and Isaac was written in the book of Genesis by Moses. Do you think Moses did not know the significance of what he had written? Not at all. The Bible itself tells us that Moses was a Christian. Yeah, because he believed in the Redeemer. Does that surprise you? In Hebrews 11, okay, it's Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26, it says, quote, By faithfulness, Moses, when he was come up to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, the Redeemer, Messiah, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward, unquote. Here again, the Judeo-Christians fail to understand that it is faithfulness, it required action by Moses to reject the theology of the Egyptians. And he suffered because of that. This is action, folks. This is not mere belief. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What's the reward? Well, the redeemer, the redemption. And the ultimate reward being that we would be in the kingdom With him, and actually the the new Jerusalem comes down to this earth, and that we Israelites in our immortal bodies, in our glory bodies, would rule this world through Yahshua Messiah, and in fact rule the entire universe from this planet. That's how important this planet is. So let's continue. So we have to embody the same type of faithfulness that both Moses and Abraham showed. You have to take it to the brink, right? <laughs> but we hope, well, let's put it this way. Our tether is Yahshua before we fall over the brink. And even if we have to sacrifice our lives, some of us may be required, that may be required of some of us. Certainly you can't have faith in something you never heard of, right? So it is clear that Moses knew the significance of the symbolism in the Old Testament rituals, which he told the people of Israel to use. Well, so we see that this ritual of animal sacrifice was already well established in the days of Abraham. But Abraham understood that it is to bring about an eventual redeemer, okay? And then only later on under Moses was the Levitical priesthood established to fulfill with all of those blood sacrifices 1,500 years, uh, let's see, yeah, 1446 B.C. to the birth of Christ, 1,500 years of animal sacrifices with the invasion of Canaan land under Joshua when the actual rituals began to be practiced because they weren't sacrificing animals in the uh, in the wilderness, not for the purpose of the rituals because they didn't have the ability to cultivate plants, you know, such for the wave sheaf, etc. until they entered Canaan land. So those were all practice the the rituals in the in the wilderness were all practice for the real thing which did not begin until 1406 BC and Cupra is absolutely correct that the uh, the coming out of from Egypt was 1446 BC they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and in the year 1406 BC is when the Israelites actually began to practice the Hebrew feast days. So, 1,400 years of animal sacrifice leading up to the sacrifice of Messiah. Okay, And not for any other people but us. This is another area where Judeo-Christianity goes completely wrong in asserting that He died, that Yahshua died for all people on the earth. No, the covenant message does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's only Israel. Because we are supposed to bless the world, not redeem the world, bless the world by being the faithful followers of our Redeemer. That is what we are told. There is no, not a single word in Scripture that says that Yahshua died for all races. Not one world. We are supposed to be the light of the world. We are supposed to be the city on the hill. The other races are to follow our example. But we have yet, well actually we did practice that example fairly well in the first thousand years. Let's put it this way. From the point where the 12 tribes in Europe began to become Christians because not all of them left their paganism behind until you know the the danites of Sweden and uh, the vikings etc were still pagans for a thousand years after the death of Christ but eventually our people began to accept Christianity began to accept the redeemer and because our people accepted the redeemer In their hearts and minds, although imperfectly, we had true Christianity in that sense. Unfortunately, it was overlaid with all kinds of rituals by the Catholic Church and by Cohen, (laughs) Calvinism, false rituals overlaid upon it. Finally, we are shedding... All that ritual, that fake ritualism that uh, was, you know, what was done away with was the rituals, not the law. And so we still have to shed the false notions that have been given to us through the Schofield Reference Bible. This is what we have to shed. And that's why we're here, to encourage our brethren who still don't know who they are about true Christianity which Bertrand Copperet is trying to explain. Now, yeah, Christianity was in the Old Testament, the promise of the Redeemer. So let's continue. So, Christianity is the central theme of the Old Testament, especially in the writings of Moses and Isaiah. The deepest religious truths therein are expressed symbolically in the sacrifices and rituals. Since they are not explained in words of one syllable for the benefit of the lazy, the lazy Judeo-Christian, of course. And some of us Christian Israelites are kind of lazy too. The uninterested and the shallow. Well, what's the last church of, of the book of Revelation, chapter three? The church of Laodicea, the lukewarm, lukewarm, Christianity, which accepts all of the sins as having been forgiven at the cross? No, future sins were not forgiven at the cross. Let's continue. They have not been perceived by churchmen whose religion never gets beyond mere emotionalism. These are the men who tell us that God was mistaken in the Old Testament, that his plan would not work because men, in their wickedness, were stronger than God. They, Well, because they believed the Jews were God's chosen people. That's the first big mistake. They would not let him carry out his plans, so he had to abandon all this and start over again in the New Testament. Isn't that an inspiring religion? They call themselves New Testament Christians. But they either won't read or won't believe the New Testament either. In that same New Testament, Jesus Christ, to whom they render lip service, calls their attention to Christianity in the writings of Moses. In the fifth chapter of John, he twice called attention of the Jews to this fact, saying, that is the Edomite Jews, saying, quote, "...search the Scriptures." For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And it is they which testify of me, unquote. Of course, this was for the benefit of the Judahites as well. And there were a few Israelites of the ten lost tribes as well. But this is relevant to both the Judahites and to the Edomite Jews, because he most often spoke to a mixed multitude. Of course, the Judahites would perceive entirely differently these words. The Edomite Jews would not recognize, he had no idea what he's talking about. The Jews don't believe in eternal life. (laughs) Not even today do they believe in eternal life. Their, Their religion is basically earthbound, materialistic. Money, greed, lust, very, very few Christians are motivated by these things, although they learn to be that way by living in this Jewish world. The earliest book of the New Testament, Matthew, was not written until ten years after Christ spoke, so the scriptures he told them to read were necessarily those of the Old Testament. Again, Jesus Christ told them, quote, There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had he." Be- believed Moses, or had he believed Moses, you would believe you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Unquote. So this applies both to the Judahites, the full blooded Judahites of his day, and the Edomite Jews who were temporarily ruling over them at this point in time, with the connivance of Rome. And it is because the sinfulness of these Judahites that all of their trial and tribulation had come about with the Greeks and with the Romans, because our people, the vast majority of our people, are not faithful to the Mosaic Law or to the covenants, the covenant relationship we have with Yahweh. There were a lot of guilty Judahites as well. And it's because they were as well as well were guilty as well as the Edomite Jews, that they were cut to the heart when Peter told them, you participated in the killing of of the Messiah. They didn't even realize it. Will we attempt to kill him again at the second coming? There are Judeo-Christians who would do so if they had the ability, but they won't have the ability to kill him a second time. We have to instruct them. Hey, wait a minute. You, ha- you don't accept the real Christ. You accept a Jewish, <laughs> a Jewish Messiah. You're not accepting the real Messiah. Until you understand that the real Messiah is not a Jew, but a Judahite and an Israelite, and that you, Christian Israelites, and most of you Israelites are in fact, most of you Christians are in fact Israelites, you will never understand the Bible. Yes, Christianity was a work in progress in the days of the apostles and even in the days of Paul. Paul's mission to the so-called Gentiles, falsely so-called, to the scattered sheep of the house of Israel, the ten tribes who had not practiced the ritual laws since about 900 B.C., they had not been practicing the Mosaic rituals, They were not sacrifice-practicing Israelites, but they were still Israelites. And this is what Paul means when he says, Before Moses, there was the promise of a Redeemer to the entire house of Israel. So the fact that they weren't practicing the Mosaic rituals had no bearing on whether they could be, quote-unquote, saved or not. The promise was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the ritual laws of the Levites were not established until Moses. And this is what Paul had to explain to Peter. Hey, listen, your kinsmen of the scattered tribes were also uh, promised the Redeemer, not just the house of Judah. So the fact that they didn't practice the Levitical rituals means nothing. Let's continue. Let me repeat this last sentence. Again, Yahshua Messiah told them, quote, There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in him you trust. Now, only the Judahites trusted in Moses. The Edomite Jews were just pretending to. For had he believed Moses... Ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me, unquote. You have to understand there were two genomes, two different types of people in the crowd that Yahshua talked to, the true-blooded Judahites and the Edomite Jews. In Matthew chapter 13, we're told that he spoke in parables so that the Edomites would not understand. <laughs> They wouldn't understand anyway. And even if they understood, they would reject it. But let's continue. Can you be a New Testament Christian if you won't believe Jesus Christ's own words? Again, we find the essence of Christianity clearly symbolized in the origin of the Passover. You remember Moses had repeatedly demanded of the Pharaoh of Egypt that he let the people of Israel go... And the Pharaoh had each time refused, despite the many miracles Moses worked, bringing down plagues upon Egypt to show his authority. So God told Moses that one more plague would be sent upon Egypt, which would surely convince Pharaoh that he should let the children of Israel go. Now we're in the same position today, folks. Who is going to let modern Israel go? Right now we're under the thrall of Judeo-Christianity. We're under the economic enslavement of Mystery Babylon because our our kinsmen refuse to take the Bible seriously. They are fair-weather Christians. They are... And all those rapturists who believe they will be raptured out of the tribulation. How many of those have gotten a jab and died or are very ill? Oh, they think they can get out of the tribulation? No way. No way, folks. No way, Christian. You have been taught falsely. And C.I. Schofield was also a promoter of the rapture theory. So do you see how much great damage that the Schofield Reference Bible has done to our faith. Of course, that was paid for by the Rothschilds. So we are under, still under the thrall, the same type of thrall that Eve was under when she was lied to by Nachash. But unless and until we recognize who we are and why we are, We will never come out from under this enslavement. The Bible predicts that there will be another era of being under Sodom and under Egypt. That's in the book of Revelation. What does that mean? Well, homosexuality will make a big return. (laughs) You see it all over the place. And it's not just homosexuality, it's transgenderism, transhumanism. Wow, the sin of Sodom multiplied it by a thousand times and was Egypt. Egypt represents slavery. The Judeo Christians are totally under the slavery of Mystery Babylon and they don't they don't realize it. They don't understand it. So here again we have to preach this word as Bertrand Campoy is very carefully doing, that you new Te- so called New Testament Christians are out of touch. With the scriptures. You have to shed all the nonsense that was created by the Schofield Reference Bible and start becoming a real Christian. All right? Can you be a New Testament Christian if you won't believe Jesus Christ's own words? Again, we find the essence of Christianity clearly symbolized in the origin of the Passover. You remember, Moses had repeatedly demanded of Pharaoh that he let the people go. Thus saith Yahweh, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. Wow. Are we at the midnight of the second coming? (laughs) It's uh, it's 11, uh, uh, sorry, it's got to be like 11.59, folks. (laughs) One minute before midnight. It's getting really close and if you don't haven't demonstrated if you haven't repented and demonstrated your true faithfulness yet when are you ever going to again we find the essence of Christianity clearly symbolized in the origin of Passover etc so he would say about midnight he would perform a miracle thus saith Yahweh about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that ye may know how Yahweh doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel." Wow, there is that horrible word, difference. (laughs) How many times have you heard the Judeo-Christians and the Jews tell us, oh, we're all the same, we all bleed red blood. But no, the DNA is not the same, folks. There is a tremendous difference between our Israelite DNA and that of the Jews and that of other races, But we know the Jews spout this nonsense that we're all the same because they don't practice it. They put a difference between themselves and the rest of the world by pretending to be God's chosen people. And they are extremely cultural conscious because they're not a race. I can't call it racism, but cultural chauvinism is what Judaism is. So, a difference. The entire Bible is about us segregating ourselves from the rest of the world. Even from among other white people. Because only Israel was given the covenant. So we have to set an example for the rest of the white race first. And if any of other races follow it, that's to their betterment. It does not mean that we intermarry with them. Let's continue. Note what this means, because the stubborn wickedness of the Egyptians, the death penalty was to come upon them, and that includes all the other races, and us, if we fail to repent. The other races are only to follow our example. That's the best they can do. Yet the children of Israel, who also were imperfect and sinful, were to escape this penalty. There was only one way in which they could be spared, by the ritual of the Passover. This Passover certainly symbolizes Christianity as the way of salvation from death. Of course, the Jews utterly reject this notion that Yahshua was the Passover lamb. In fact, they still reject it because they have proclaimed themselves to be their own redeemers. So they invented this lie called the Holocaust, right? Right? to forestall or to substitute for the proclaimed death of the Messiah. You see how they have twisted and distorted the scriptures to suit themselves? The instructions for this ritual were given in Exodus 12. Quote, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Now, this is part of the spring feast days of the Hebrew ritual calendar. And the 10th day is routinely ignored even by us in identity. That's the selection day. That was the day that Yahshua rode into Jerusalem to uh, a, a praise and acclaim And uh, flowers at his feet, although he was riding a donkey, (laughs) not a white stallion. The white stallion comes later. So, three days before his death, he was proclaimed as Messiah by the people of Jerusalem. How could this be horribly turned around to, to cause his death? It just shows that the Judahites of that day did not comprehend who he was. It was just hope, hopium. And they were so easily flummoxed by the scribes and Pharisees of the Edomite brand that they could not follow through on their faith. This is clear now. This this time, folks, you better be ready to follow through on your faith, because the second coming is nigh, and you better know what's at at stake here. Okay, and we do not teach integration as the Jews do, but they fail to observe it themselves, like the Freemasons. Also, they teach lies. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They teach one thing and do another. So with a couple of minutes left here. The instructions for this ritual were given in Exodus 12. In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. That's the selection day. According to the house, that's the tenth day of the year, right after the spring equinox. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole kahal of the—that that is the congregation, group of the congregation of Israel, shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and upon the upper doorposts of the houses. This, of course, represents the Lamb of God, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, because le- leaven of the Pharisees it rep- it represents false teachings. Not just of the Jews, but of the Judeo-Christians. And with bitter herbs. Why bitter herbs? Well, because the truth is bitter. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Shall they eat it? And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it for a feast unto Yahweh throughout your generations, even after the judgment day, ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance for ever. Okay, so when the day comes, and it's coming close, closer and closer, we need to have this in our minds as the Judgment Day approaches, if you want to be part of the Bride of Christ. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Take care, everybody.